As we transition from the terms we've been looking at, considering the biblical model of elders, shepherds, or bishops, we're going to transition now, as I said last week, into the work. And look at the Bible and let the Bible describe for us the work of these men. It is God's plan that each local congregation have elders. That being the case, we need to know the Bible picture, not only of what they look like, but what they should be doing. We need to do that because we need to be informed. We need to be educated. The men who are going to aspire to this particular kind of work equally need to know so they know what the work is. If you did not know a thing about making cabinets, by the time you spent some time around a cabinet maker, you would know something about it. And so we're going to spend time with the Bible, God's Word, let Him tell us what He wants His men who would be elders to be doing. And so this hour and the next hour, we're going to be looking at just some passages that speak to us about that. And so when we think about that, we turn to, first of all, Acts chapter 11 to see the elders at work. Acts chapter 11 is the first time, in the way that our Bibles are put together at least, that you have the term appearing. And you see it as it comes to Acts chapter 11, verse 27. In these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did, sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So this first reading, we find that here the elders were the recipients of the funds that were to help relieve the needy saints in Judea. Judea was a province that, had, that was made of about five different cities. And so the implication here is that each one of those five different cities had a local church. And that in each local church there were elders. And that in each local church there were needy saints that were more than what that congregation could provide for. And so you have then this collection of disciples who determined to send relief to the brethren in Judea. But they send it to the elders of the churches in the cities that comprise Judea. If we were to kind of make a, something that paralleled that today, it would be, it was sent to the elders of Dallas County. Well, it wouldn't be sent to Dallas County, would it? Dallas County is made up of what? Several different cities. And several different cities have several different churches. And many of those churches have elders. And so it would be sent to the elders of each local congregation. And so the elders receive the funds. Now, a point of emphasis here. Of the nine passages that we'll look at that talk about the work of elders. This is the only passage that has anything to do, saying anything about them having anything to do with something financial. Now, I say that's a point of emphasis because far too many instances, elders only see their responsibility as watching over the checkbook. 
And when they have watched over the checkbook, they fulfill their responsibility. But this is the only passage of nine where it comes under their jurisdiction to oversee those funds. I'd make another passing comment here. And I don't mean to demean anything by making this comment at all. I'm making it as a contrast to give a point of emphasis. It's often prayed and appreciated to give the elders wisdom how they will handle these funds. But as we look at the broader picture of what the work of elders is, maybe there's something more that we need to pray about these men doing this work than just simply, are they taking care of the money? And so here you have in Acts chapter 11, that particular picture. Turn to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. You have the discussion that is under consideration that is stated in verse, verse 1. Unless certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So here there are some in Jerusalem who are still holding on to the theology that you have to be circumcised and come under the law of Moses in order to be saved. So verse 2 says, Therefore when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that, that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Notice, to the apostles and elders. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, It's necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. Notice, they were sent by the apostles and elders, they were received by the apostles and elders, and now they are brought together with this collection of people that are here, including the apostles and elders. And so they're brought here with what? They're brought here with an important thing to do. They're brought here with an important judgment to make on something. Remember back when we talked about the term elder? And in that term elder, we saw that a part of that responsibility was matters of judgment that were involved. Well, here there's a question that's come up, and they're going to have to decide something about this question. Now, they've not come to Jerusalem to debate this. It's already determined, it's already been preached what the truth of the matter is. They've come to give clarification for what the truth is. They've not joined a council to have a vote on whether or not Gentiles have to be circumcised or not. The revelation's already been made, it's already been taught that the law's been done away with and that Gentiles do not have to be circumcised or come under the law of Moses. But there's some among the Pharisees that are still holding on to this. So you come down to verse, 12, verse, verse 13. Paul has spoken and Barnabas has spoken. And sorry, Peter has spoken and Barnabas has spoken. So in verse 13, and after they had become silent, James answered them saying, men and brethren, Listen to me. Simon has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And this the words of the prophets agree just as it is written. After this I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down and I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up. 
So the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. So James is quoting Amos here. And so then he says, verse 18, known to God from eternity all his works. Now then, verse 19. Therefore I judge, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. But we write to them to abstain from things polluted by, by, by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. But notice what is said in verse 19. Therefore I judge. So what James is going to do here is, I'm going to give you my judgment about this. I'm going to give you my opinion about this. And that's the word judge here. But the judgment he's going to give, we're going to find out, is also harmonious with what the Holy Spirit has to say. And so here they come together and they write this letter. And the churches receive the letter. So you pick up in verse 23, this letter they wrote by themselves, the apostles and prophets and brethren. Notice the apostles and elders, they're put on the same level here. Write this letter. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your soul, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such, no such commandment. It seemed good to us to assemble with one accord to send chosen men to you with thy beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who also report the same things by the word of the mouth, by word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these things necessary. In verse 19, James says, I, I judge, I'm going to give you, based on what Simon and Barnabas uh, have said here, I'm going to give you my judgment about this. But notice, it comes down now and it says, it seemed also good to the Holy Spirit. This is not just a judgment as whether you're going to have peanut butter and jelly or no peanut butter and jelly. This is a judgment that also in his agreement with what the Holy Spirit has said. It is a judgment that agrees with inspiration. So here they came together to consider a doctrinal matter. This is a matter of doctrine for them. Do, Jew, do Gentiles have to be circumcised and come under the law of Moses? A very serious concern for them. Not for us, but for them. And James said, I'm going to give my judgment, my opinion about this. But this opinion agrees with the inspiration with the Holy Spirit. Now, we wouldn't worry it that way today. There are certain times that doctrinal matters are to be considered by elders. But we wouldn't word it the way that Luke words it here when he records this. We might say, it is the judgment. But it also agrees with the word of God. Because we don't have that same thing they had then. We have the words of the Holy Spirit. And so we would say, in agreement with what the Word of God says, it is our judgment that. In other words, we're making an application of something. And so here was a matter in question with regard to what the doctrine was. And so they come before them, and it says in verse 30, And they went out, and so they were sent off. They came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered their letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. 
Now Judas and Silas themselves being prophets also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. If it was just simply a matter of, is this a right or wrong thing? You don't need the elders to determine that. There, there are prophets there. And you could have asked the prophets what they said. But notice they came together and the elders were part of what that determination, that judgment was all about. Elders are called upon to make judgments. Elders are called upon to make decisions about things. And sometimes those decisions have to do with doctrinal issues. So elders received money. Elders also exercised their judgment, that is, make an application relative to doctrinal things that come before them. The next passage we look at is Acts chapter 16 and verse 4, and you see how this turned out. And as they went throughout the cities, they delivered to them the decrees. That word decrees there is our word dogma. It is the word from which we get opinion. If we say, so-and-so is dogmatic, what are we saying? So-and-so is very opinionated. And so it says, as they went throughout the cities, they delivered to them the opinion to keep which were determined. The idea of determined is to, to separate or to discern or to make a judgment which was determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So they're going about, they're reading this letter, they're reading the judgment that was there, and you find that it's having harmony, it's having agreement with all who receive the letter. And so they determined something. They made a decree about something. They made the decree that was based on a judgment that was based on something that was in harmony with the Holy Spirit. It might be a decree that is based on a judgment that's in harmony with the Word of God. Is what we would say about that. Turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, we have the next passage to consider. When we look at Acts chapter 20, I think Acts chapter 20 is one, in my judgment, one of the most powerful verses that have to do with what the work is. And we want to walk through some of this. So you come to verse 17. And Paul is going to meet the elders at Ephesus uh, from, from Miletus, he's sent to elders at Ephesus, and they're going to come, they're going to meet him. This will be the last time that Paul's going to see these men. Now, Paul has spent quite a bit of time with the church at Ephesus. Over the period of time, he's probably spent about three years with them, and just a sidebar. We probably have more information in the New Testament about the church at Ephesus than any other local church that is mentioned there. We probably have the 40-year existence up to that point in time when it's written about the church at Ephesus revealed to us in the Word of God. But here Paul is going to spend some about three years with the elders at Ephesus. He's developed a strong relationship with them. And so now then he said, this is the last time I'm going to see you. And it's a very emotional thing. They fall upon one another. They cry tears. They embrace one another. And so it says, coming down then to, to verse 27. For I'm not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. First of all, to shepherd. That's the man. The man is to shepherd. When he shepherds, what's he to do? He's to watch over. Now, why is he to watch over? Because he says in verse 29, I know that after this, after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. I have set you at shepherds. That's the job. Here's how you perform the job. You watch over. You watch over the flock because why? There's danger coming. 
And so Paul says, I'm not shunned to declare the whole gospel to you. And I've shared this gospel to you because I want you to be watchers. I want you to be onlookers. I want you to be circumspect. I want you to be careful. I want you to be careful lookers because there's danger coming here. And so then we come to verse 29, verse 30. Also from among yourselves will rise up speak, uh, men speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Verse 31. Therefore, watch and remember. For three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. I'm setting you as overseers, onlookers to shepherd. Here's the flock and there's danger coming that's here. You watch and you remember. You remember what? I do not cease to warn you by declaring to you the whole counsel of God, he says. So then he will say, back in verse, verse 18, in verse 18 again. And when they had come, come to them, and when they had come to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day I came to Asia, what manner I always lived among you. Now, Paul's fiction is saying, I want you to pay attention to the example I set before you. There's our word example from last week. I want you to pay attention to the model, to the mold I've set for you. Serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Paul said, I serve with you. I, I came and I live with you serving. I came serving how? With all humility, many tears, many trials. Happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. I came and I served you and I served with humility in the midst of adversities that were that came upon us here. And Paul is saying here, in the process of watching for these souls, there are going to be trying times that will come. Things that will try the souls and the spirits of men. And sometimes there are going to be serious things that are going to try the souls and the spirits of men. But I came and I, I did that with humility with you. And then he said, how I kept back nothing. That was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house. I did not shun to declare the whole counsel of God to you. I came and I declared back. I kept back nothing. And then he says, to testify to Jew and Greek. There was no partiality with Paul. He didn't show partiality with the Jews and, and against the Gentiles. He was impartial in what he did. Oh, an important point. He says, I'm coming to you. As you shepherd, you watch. But you set the example. You set the example as I set the example, serving with all humility. In the midst of whatever trials that, that come before you, you serve with all humility. And you do so with impartiality. Now that's really important to get. Elders are to be men who are impartial. It's not that, okay, you're my favorite, I'll let you off the hook. I'm not going to hold you responsible. I do so and so. I don't like this person, so I'm going to hold them more accountable. I like this person, I'm going to let them off the hook. This person gives more money, I'm going to give grace to them. This person is poor, I'm going to cut them. However you want to frame it, whatever it is. What he's saying here is that I did not, I did not withhold anything from any, anybody that was needed, both Jew and Greek here. I was impartial in doing so. And so then he will say, verse 22, And seeing now, I go bound in spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, Except the Holy Spirit testified in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so I might finish my race with joy in your ministry, 
which I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to the gospel and the grace of God. And what he says here, sometimes while the, while the responsibility has its difficulties, the joy is found in fulfilling the responsibility. But come down now to verse 33. I keep my, Paul said, I serve with all humility. How did you serve, Paul? He said, I have not coveted, I coveted no one's silver and gold or apparel. Yet you yourselves know these hands have provided my necessities and for those who were with me. For I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord that he says more blessed to give than to receive. So is Paul saying here that, well, elders need to have a good job to support the weak, translated so you can give money out of your pocket take care of the poor people well since elders are Christians they're not going to be exempt from whatever benevolent responsibility they have toward their brethren I don't think Paul is saying here okay you need to have a job and you need to be paid well so when the time comes you can pull money out of your pocket and give it to somebody listen I'm not diminishing this at all please please don't take this and please get the contrast the comparison Pulling money out of your pocket to give to somebody requires very little effort on our part. If we ask for 24 hours or $100, which do you think we'd get more of? It's just easier to give $100, right? Because if I ask for 24 hours, it's going to require some personal investment on my part. So I think Paul is saying here that when he says, you take care of the weak, you take care of those who are financially destitute. In fact, unless it's mentioned here, the term weak appears 86 times in the New Testament and never, never does it refer to anything it has to do with financial relief. Unless it's here, of course. Ezekiel chapter 34. Hold your finger in Acts chapter 20. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 34 real quickly. We looked at this passage last week, but I want you to see this, this terminology again. Ezekiel chapter 34. In verse 4, he says, the weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up those who were broken, nor brought back what was driven, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. And then he will go on to talk about those who are lean. When he talks about the sick and talks about the lean, that word sick is the same in the Hebrew is the same word in the Greek for weak. And so he's talking here, it corresponds to the weak or the sick in Ezekiel chapter 34. When the Bible talks about weak, it will talk about people weak in faith. It'll talk about physically people are weak. It'll talk about their spiritual weakness. Again, hold your finger in Acts chapter 20 and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Because I think this picture in 1 Thessalonians 5 gives us a more accurate description of things. But in verse 14, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak. Uphold the poor, uphold the weak, be patient with all. Back to Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20. When Luke will record these words, Paul will say, I didn't come to you. I didn't come to you asking for any financial remuneration at all. I didn't come asking for gold or silver. I didn't want what was in your pocket. I wanted your heart. 
And furthermore, he will say, I've shown by laboring every way. I didn't come ask you for money and provide for the poor everywhere. I provided for myself, and I provided for the people who were traveling with me. I provided for myself and those people. But he says, well, blessed to give and receive. Why? Because in providing what those who are weak need, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Yes. Sometimes the weak can be difficult. And you know what? Sometimes even the strong have their weakness. Sometimes even the strong are weak. And sometimes that strong person that's weak can sometimes be, di- sometimes be difficult. And sometimes the weak person that's weak can be challenging. It is wearisome. It is wearisome to help someone who's weak. It's easier just to kick the can down the road. It's easier just to kick them down the road. Well, you go on, I'll kick you down the road, someday you'll get strong. No, it requires what? It requires binding up. It requires healing. It requires feeding. It requires protecting. It requires tending. It requires pulling them in and holding them close. That's all the imagery we looked at with regard to shepherding. It requires, requires the willingness to look and to see, to look into close inspection, to see in what area they are weak and how and why they are weak. And there may be any number of reasons why a person is weak. And sometimes it requires a great deal of courage to tell the weak what they don't want to hear. But because a shepherded overseer has been charged with the care of that soul, it's more blessed to give than to receive, and the reward will be remunerated by the Lord. And there's the balance of it. When the Lord used this term, when the Lord spoke of this, Turn to Matthew chapter 20. Hold your finger back in Luke there. I'm sorry, Acts. Look at Matthew chapter 20. And look at verses 25 to 28. But Jesus called to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those... And those who are great exercise authority over them. The New King James says, yet, yet, some translations say, but. Both of them, a a, a transition. But, yet, it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. How did he do that? Look at Matthew chapter 26. Look at Matthew chapter 26. And look at verse 28. 
For this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. In Acts chapter 20, he said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Now put that back with Acts chapter 20. You'll find a passage where the Lord said, okay, give the poor, give the weak money out of your pocket and make sure you're, you're financially able to do that. Again, that may be something you do just as a Christian. Not diminishing that at all. But the Lord said, I came to serve, not to be served. And what Paul is telling these elders at Ephesus is this. I spent three years around you fellows. And I have tried to set the example to you over and over and over again. I've done it serving you. And I've done it not asking for any financial remuneration on your part. I didn't covet your gold or silver. I didn't ask for anything that you could pay me to do this. I did it with all humility. And I set before you the example of how, how you watch. How you shepherd. And I've done that with impartiality. I've done that and I haven't failed to declare to you everything that was there for you to know. I've told you, I've shared with you what was important for you to have and you to know. And yes, sometimes. Sometimes it may not be understood. Sometimes you may not be appreciated. But the balance is this. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Paul said, not everybody's going to appreciate you. Not everybody's going to understand why you do what you do. And can I just sidebar there? It's not just the congregation may not understand and may not appreciate. Sometimes even among the team of elders. May not understand, may not appreciate why somebody else thinks the way they do. I've made an observation over time. This from the book of Ricky. Everybody wants elders. And everybody likes elders. Until elders make a decision they don't like. And then the elders become the crow that's eating for lunch that morning. Or that day. But what he's telling, telling us individual people here is this. Not everybody's going to understand the work you do. Not everybody's going to appreciate it. And not everybody's going to come up and tell you thank you. But the reward is this. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And God will balance the books. See? If this is something that you have an aspiration for. Understand it's not a popularity contest. Understand it's not a good old boy network. Understand it's not something that everybody's going to be patting you on the back all the time saying, we love you, we love you, we love you. Sometimes you will not be understood, you will not be appreciated. But do you see not how that is something greater and more than just simply please Help these guys spend the money right? I would ask you to consider this. Don't leave that off. Because judgment and wisdom is needed in that. That is absolutely sure. 
But I would ask you to sharpen your thinking and sharpen your consideration for men you have as elders to pray for them as they watch for our souls, tend the flock, hold us close, protect us, and as they in all humility try to serve us and lead us. That's what, that's what the elders need. And then finally, one last passage. Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21 and verse 18. Acts chapter 21 and verse 18. So you've had these things that happen in Acts chapter 20. So you come to verse 18. It says, on the following day, Paul went with us. Paul went in with us to James and the elders were present. Did you notice a change in terminology there? On the following day, Paul went in with us. It doesn't say to the apostles. It says to James and the elders. Do you see the consideration that's there and the role, the important role they play in the evaluation of these things? The apostles now are laid aside in the consideration. Now they come into James, who had spoken before in Acts chapter 15. They come to James and the elders the next day. And so the elders receive them. And sometimes the elders receive. And sometimes they receive reports. Like we've seen in Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 15. Those are just some of the verses we want to consider this morning. We'll pick this up for phase two. In the 10:50 hour, thank you for listening so well. These are challenging verses. I was asked this morning, "Are you going to say something else that's more difficult?" I said, "Yes." And by the time I'm done, we may have no elders at all, <laughs> because the other five come up and say, "You know, you sure are making this hard." Well, at least you get to sit there. <laughs> I have to stand and say it. It's a joint of blessing, and we'll conclude with that at the end. I'm not, I'm not demeaning this at all. It's a joint of blessing. But I want you to see the nuts and the bolts of it. And I want you to be informed about it. We'll have a word of prayer, a verse of a song, and be dismissed to our classes. Thank you. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com questions at thebibleway.com We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.